morning, Journey. And for all of you who wore Chiefs gear to NFL kickoff Sunday, thank you. For the rest of you, we'll pray for you. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Fearless at our church. We're actually in week three of this series, learning how to live with faith over fear in key areas of our life where we feel like faith might be holding us back. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter three. We're going to jump right in today. We've been studying the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel to learn what it looks like to have faith in the midst of situations that cause fear and to see the results of having faith over fear as we walk through our life. And we find ourselves in week three in Daniel chapter 3, trying to have another life lesson from people 2,500 years ago who don't just inspire us but educate us how to place our faith over our fears so that God's impact may be all that he wants it to be for us. If you don't have your Bible, you can download our Journey Church International app. That will have everything that you see on the screen on your handheld device that you use, and you can walk through every service with us that way. But um, if you're a Bible and a paper guy like me and a pen, grab your notes from your bulletin, and let's jump in. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18 is where we'll start this morning. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, that was the king of Babylon who had destroyed uh, Judah. He'd taken Daniel and his friends captive. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. If you've ever seen the Liberty Memorial downtown across from Union Station, this would have been about half that size, completely covered in gold, 45 miles south of current uh, Baghdad, Iraq. So you can picture this spectacle 2,500 years ago. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he set up. So all the government workers. Verse 3, so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald proclaimed loudly nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. This would have looked like a baseball dugout that was on fire, filled with fire. So we can picture the scene in our head as it kind of rolls up here 45 miles south of modern-day Iraq. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, Zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of, can we just call them the instruments? I mean, we've already read them two times through. The instruments must fall down and worship this image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down in worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now then, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, thyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship. Circle that word worship or underline it. We've seen it several times, but I want you to underline or circle this one or highlight it electronically if you've got a tablet. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. We will not worship the image of gold that you've set up. Let me ask you a question. It's kind of the question that will begin today's message. Do you worship a statue of gold? It's a message I want you to consider this, this morning. That's the question I want you to consider. Do you worship a statue of gold? We got together as a ministry team kind of early this spring as we got ready for this message, and we asked this question. What areas in the lives of the people in our church that they could have great spiritual impact in are they not having great spiritual impact in because they're afraid? There's a question. What areas of the lives of people in our church could they have great spiritual impact in but they're not because they are afraid? Because we want to talk about those so they can live in faith over fear. We narrowed it down to five. We talked about security. We talked about that line when blank is going well, I feel secure. And we said, you know, a lot of people, their underlying fear actually connects to their security. The thing they're most confident about is the thing they fear losing the most if it's not God. So we have to address that. We believe, like we said last week, that every Christian wants to have a bold and impactful faith, but they don't know how. So we said, let's try to teach our people how to live in faith in this area. And we showed you Robbie's story last week so we can learn how to have a bold, impactful, and tactful faith. We believe Christians want to tell their friends about Jesus, but they don't know how or they're afraid. So two weeks from now, we're going to talk about that. And I believe every Christian wants to risk something for the glory of God. So next week, we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den and how we just step into faith to let God do something miraculous. But one of the areas that we believe Christians in our church wanted to have impact in that they're not because they're afraid is in the area of giving. And we ask the question, are people worshiping a statue of gold? Is there some spiritual impact God wants our church to have in giving that right now we're not having because we worship, we put all of our security in a statue of gold? Last week, our presupposition was every Christian wants to live with a bold and impactful faith. They just don't know how. I can't tell you how many people told me, Christian, you nailed it. That's exactly what I needed to hear. I've been inspired. I get text messages all week long, not just from Daniel, but from Robbie's video. I want to tell you, I'm inspired. People writing verses on the walls of their businesses, kids wearing shirts to, to school, public high school that had verses on them for the very first time. They were inspired because of that presupposition was correct. I want that. I just don't know how. Today's presupposition after nearly 20 years of ministry is this. One of the last areas that Christians give God their trust in is their money. One of the very last areas that, you, that we say, God, you can have this area of my life is with our money. And here's why. I don't believe it's because Christians are stingy people. I believe it's because Christians are scared people. I don't think it has anything to do really with generosity. I think every Christian wants to be a generous person and desires to give more. I don't believe Christians are stingy. I believe they're scared. Bloomberg Press in early August came out with an article that said Americans have a drinking problem. Americans are abusing alcohol at an all-time high the last decade. And here's the good news, not teenagers. Teenage drinking is actually down. But every other demographic of people in America, adults, the highest was female adults, are abusing alcohol at an all-time high rate. 
the number one cause of that, economic stress, financial fear. We are just scared to death about our economy, about our income, about our livelihood, about our finances. I don't believe Christians are stingy people. I believe we're like the rest of America. We're scared people. So today we're going to look at the lives of these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're going to try to learn how to have faith over fear by looking at three guys who said, we're not going to worship a God of gold. We're going to worship a God in heaven, and we're going to see how we can apply that to this area of giving in our life. But let me tell you before we start, let me give you four goals. Here's the four things I hope happen today because they'll happen in the lives of different people. If these four things today happen, I'll be very happy. Number one, if you're in here, And fear has been holding you back from having impact in giving and generosity. I'm praying today that you'll be challenged and that you'll have courage to start a generosity journey. I'm also praying that if you're in here today and fear has been holding you back from getting help, you're flat broke, you're maxed out on every credit card, you can't pay your current bills, you're upside down on everything. My hope is that if you're in here today and you have been afraid to speak up and say, I need some financial counseling, I need help that you will do that because I I told our staff, I will never preach on giving without connecting a giving message to a finance class because most of the people who want to give just can't. They need help with their finances. So we're going to give you an opportunity to do that before the message is over. If you currently give, my hope today is that you'll feel really good about your generosity. 700 families that gave to our church last year. I hope you'll feel like you're having a real impact. And if you're a guest today, if you're brand new, here's what I'm hoping you get out of this. One, I hope you clearly understand we don't want your money. You know, people who don't go to church, and maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know you're always welcome at our church. But they have kind of two views of churches. One, they think all churches want are people's money. And and that may be true in your past. That is not true of this church. We don't want your money. We don't need your money. But two, people who don't go to church, at least according to all the backlash that Joel Osteen faced two weeks ago, they actually think churches should help when communities need it. So it's weird because people think all that church wants is my money, but at the same time, they think the community needs the church's money, and you're right. The reason we talk about money at our church is because we believe one day we will be the church that has to open our doors up to our community, and we want to be ready for that. So really, at our church, money has a twofold purpose. It is a big-time thing in how we worship God, but it is also preparing to serve a community who looks to the church as both the first day and the last line of defense. When something happens, people who don't go to church say churches should help And they're right. If you've ever thought that, you're right. God actually put that in your heart. So if those four things happen today, I'm good. Let me talk to you about two things from Daniel chapter 3 as we try to work our way towards that end goal. Number one, when it comes to giving, we have to realize that spiritual perspective in giving is everything. Like until we are able to identify how we view money, until we are able to identify how we view giving, this message really won't mean anything to anyone. So before I speak to your ears, let me speak to your heart because perspective shapes generosity. And there are three questions that can be used as a litmus test to kind of help you understand what your heartbeat is spiritually. I believe these three questions reveal what our heart feels about money. You know, when I go to the doctor, I'm a very curious guy, even at nearly 40. And I get my physical and the doctor puts these things in his ears and he puts this on my back and he says, take a deep breath. Instead of taking a deep breath, I always say, well, what are, what are, you, what are you trying to listen for? And he said, just be quiet and take a deep breath. So I'll do it and I'll say, what did you hear? And he'll just say, stop talking. And he moves, as he moves it around, he's the only one who's able to hear whatever he's listening for. I wish they would make a stethoscope with two so that I could listen and he could listen. Even though I didn't know what I was listening for, I'm always, I always wonder, what are you listening for? And how do you know what's good and how do you know what's bad? Today, these questions 
are going to put a spiritual stethoscope on you and God. You're going to be the only ones who are able to hear what's going on in your heart spiritually. But if you will answer these three questions honestly, God will know, and he already knows where your heart is financially, but you'll be able to have an inside look at your heart too. What are these three questions? Let's just run through them real quick. I've given you some yes or no's to circle, which you don't have to do today, but you can think about. Question one, do I see money as my security? Do I see money as my security? When money's good, I feel secure. If that's you, maybe. Question two, do I see money as my stuff? Capital M-Y. My money is mine. I've worked hard. I've made it. It's all mine. Question three, is the way I see money a stumbling block? Spiritually, is the way I view money kind of getting in the way with my relationship with God? You say, how does that reveal perspective? Question one perspective looks like this. If money is your security, then God is not. That's what Jesus says. If money is your security, God is not. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. He actually said this. You can't serve God and money because you'll serve one and you'll end up actually hating the other. He's talking about people who serve money and make it their security. They end up hating God because they never have enough. So if money's your security, God can't be. Question two perspective looks like this. The way you view money shows whether you view God as a giver or a taker. That word my, it's a little word, but it's a big perspective. If, if giving is giving something of yours, then God is a taker. But if giving is returning something that's God's, you view God as a giver. That's a really big one on um, perspective. King David, after he gave the largest offering of his life, wrote in 1 Chronicles 29, that big offering that I gave. He said, what, what, I'm not even giving you anything. Everything I gave, you actually gave to me first. So I'm just returning what was given to me. And then question three perspective looks like this. When we see finances as a test of God's goodness, rather than a test of our generosity, money has officially become a stumbling block. In Malachi 3.10, God looks at his followers and says this, test me in giving. You give and see if I won't give back to you. Today, we've kind of turned that around and we've told God, test me in receiving. If you give so much to me that I have some left over, I'll give some back to you. If, if we view money as a test of how good God is, rather than a test of our generosity and trust in God, it can become a stumbling block and we can get very bitter when things are tight and we can praise and worship God better than anyone when things are good simply because we're worshiping an, an idol of gold, a God of gold, not a God in heaven. So spiritual perspective is everything. Because the only way in a healthy way that we can be obedient and faithful in giving is with a spiritual mindset. You see, number two, we're going to learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that spiritual obedience in giving, it's a faith thing, not a finance thing. Spiritual obedience in giving has nothing to do with the level of the bank account. Spiritual, give, spiritual obedience in giving actually has nothing to do with how much the church needs, how, how much you like the pastor, how much you like the worship, how big the building is. Spiritual obedience in giving is a faith thing, not a finance thing. And as we look at the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we learn three things about spiritual trust from their refusal to worship an idol of gold and instead to worship the God in heaven. What are those things? Number one, we learned that our giving is an act of worship. That's why I had to circle that word worship. I don't know if you recognized it, but in the first 18 verses of Daniel chapter 3, the word worship is written 10 times. What did we say that number 10 was biblically? It was that number of completion. 
we basically see Nebuchadnezzar asking these guys to change their worship from a worship of God to a worship of gold, to a worship that would give them different security, to a worship that redirected their focus and their attention. This was not really an idol worshiping problem. This was a worship problem. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change what the security and trust of these three young men was in. And they said, we're not going to do that. It to them was a worship problem. We're not going to worship that because we can't worship that and God at the same time. Why? Because worship reveals security and worship reveals trust. So you say, the more I give, the more I worship? Not really. Actually, that's not the way it is. It's not the more you give, the more you worship. Because God said, that's not really a fair way to judge because not everyone has the same amount to give. So God said, worship, I'm going to evaluate worship, not at, a, not at an amount, but at a percentage. That way, everyone can give the exact same way. What does worship look like in giving? In Leviticus 27:30, here's what God told the people of Israel. Fair worship look like for everyone. God said a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy. The word holy means to be separate to the Lord. God said, here's what worship and giving looks like. A tithe gets separated and given to God. What is a tithe? It's a word in Hebrew that means a tenth. That's what it means. Ten percent. It's a percentage number. God says, if you want to worship me, here's what worship looks like. You take a tenth of everything I've given you, and you set it aside back for me. Why? Because God wants treasure? No, because God wants trust. You see, a tithe is a tenth, but in a spiritual equation, tithe is just trust. And trust equals worship. Trust equals security. So you say, what does worship and giving look like? Listen to how simple this is. What does worship and giving look like? If you made a dollar last week, right? If, if you're seven and you lost a tooth and the heavenly tooth fairy put a dollar under your pillow, worship looks like a dime. That is all God requires. You're like, wow, that's not much. Well, it's not much unless you made 10. Unless you're a server at a restaurant and you made $10 this week because you, you, know, you work one day and you only had a short shift and somebody gave you a nice tip. I made $10. What does worship look like for you? It looks like a dollar. So what if I made $100? What if I got a shift down at the local gas station and I you know, work this week 10 hours, $10? What if I made $100 this week? Worship for you looks like $10. We, we look at it in those terms. We say, wow, that's not that much until we're a businessman making $100,000. And we say, worship for you looks like $10,000. Say, whoa, that's too much. Actually, it's no more than God asked of the little girl who lost her tooth. God says worship is a percentage. It's a trust thing. It's not a treasure thing. I don't need your money. I don't even use your money. But God said it's a trust thing. I want to know that you can be content and that you can worship with what I've given you. So tithe equals trust and trust equals worship. You know, we've got a family in our church uh, by the name of Kevin and Christina Lent who love to give. Um, They've just been blessed with the spiritual gift of giving. And every time I meet someone who loves to give, I always ask them this. Why do you love to give? Why do you love to give? I meet people all the time who love to give. And I always ask, why do you love to give? Do you know how I've never had that question answered? I've never said, why do you love to give? And had somebody say, because I'm rich. I've never heard that answer. Why do you love to give? Because I'm rich. Most people who love to give started giving when they had very little or almost nothing because they felt like God spoke to their heart to begin this generosity journey, and it was a worship thing for them, not a wealth thing for them. 
So watch Kevin and Christina's story and listen to how God challenged them and where God has taken them. Fourteen years ago, I went out and started my own company. I literally had pocket change in my checking account, and I was at a church, uh, listened to a message, and I felt really led to give. And I had exactly $300 to my checking account uh, with zero jobs lined up and to do. Um, I wrote a check for $275. The very next day, I received a huge blessing from God by landing four jobs that was going to help me through the rest of the month. We have learned to have faith over fear and tithing um, back when we were doing the pledge for the new building. Um, that's kind of when it impacted us most. We, we wanted to pledge more than we knew we were able to give, and so when we were able to meet that pledge and then give more. Um, it really just solidified our faith that, that it worked out um, the way it was supposed to. I knew that God would take care of my business. My business was growing at the time. Uh, I knew if I pledged something um, that God would provide me the money from past experiences that wherever I asked for something and he gives it, you know, a lot of times he likes to give it. So, so we've been blessed by giving. Um, we are self-employed, so uh, our business has doubled. Um, we've been able to meet some retirement goals that uh, a little sooner than we thought. Uh, when you're self-employed, it's not always easy to give uh, when you know you could be putting that aside for future. So we've also uh, been blessed just by seeing um, our friends come to church, um, our friends being saved um, by coming to JCI. And so without our giving and JCI being here, then we may not have that opportunity for our friends and family to know Jesus. I would say to people that don't give on a regular basis that you don't know what kind of impact you're gonna have until you do it. And you don't know what kind of blessings you're gonna have unless you do it. So it's a step out in faith. I've never met anyone that has give, given, and has regretted. For those that are afraid to give, I would say to start small and and see what kind of blessings you see from that. And as your faith grows, then I, I believe that your tithing grows uh, with it. And I would like to add to that, that maybe treat it as a bill and maybe have it be the very first bill you pay. Um, and then pay their other ones accordingly after that. We've always been able to tithe off our paycheck, but in the last couple of years have stepped up and actually have tithed off what our business has made. Uh, and that took a lot of faith and a lot of um, going back and forth of whether we should do it or not. We feel led and almost convicted that this is what we're supposed to do. Uh, we're also instructed in God's word um, to give and there is a verse in the Bible that says you are more like God when you give because God is the biggest giver so two weeks in a row you meet a businessman that says my life is about me and God together and I heard people last week say man I, I never thought I could be like Daniel but I could be like Robbie I could do some of those things 
I'm hoping some of you think, you know, I don't know that I could ever step into a fiery furnace, but I could be like Kevin and Christina, but you have to live in trust to get there. You see, from a spiritual standpoint, we have to remember tithing is really not giving, it's returning. Remember what David said? I only give, really, I only give back what God has already given to me. A few weeks ago, my son Christian needed some money for Subway between football practice on Wednesday and church on Wednesday. So I gave him 20 bucks and said, here you go, go get Subway. A few days later, he had not given me the change for that. And we were at Quick Trip. And I said, hey, like, do you have, you have any change left over from that? Because I'm going to run inside and get something to drink. He said, yeah, he did. He gave me the change. I went and bought something. And a few days later, we were at home. He said, hey, dad, I want to run to Chick-fil-A and get something to eat. And I said, go ahead. Remember, he's got a driver's license now. So he's on the go like at all times. So I said, go ahead. And he's like, well, won't you give me some money? And I said, no, use your own. And he's like, why? I paid for your quick trip. And I was like, no, I paid for my quick trip. Like <laughs> that was my money that I, you just gave me back my money for my quick trip. There are a lot of Christians who, when we give, we tell God, I gave you my money. And God's saying, no, no, no. You gave me my money. You gave me the money I gave you for your life. You just gave back some to worship me and to trust me. So from a spiritual standpoint, tithing is not giving, it's returning. So giving is worship, but you also need to realize keeping is an act of worship too. You just got to ask yourself, what, what is that worshiping? When you don't give, why? Because you are worshiping. You're placing security in something other than God and how you worship them. So worship is giving, letter B, worship, our giving is also um, an act of trust. So giving is worship, giving is an act of trust. In Daniel three seventeen and 18, I love what Daniel and the guy said. You heard Kevin say that he gave and God blessed him. It doesn't always happen like that. I could, I could shoot videos of a dozen other people that say we gave faithfully and we really had difficult financial times after that. But giving goes first. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and here's what they said. They said, listen, you can throw us in the fiery furnace, and God might rescue us. He might not, but he might. He can. I believe that he can. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship the idol of gold. We're going to worship our God because eternally, we know he's eventually going to rescue us from you, whether on earth or in heaven. So it's like them saying, listen, we're we're just going to go ahead and live in faith, And trust God for the results. They may be good here. We know they'll be good one day in heaven. So faith, we see, goes first. Faith goes first and trust God's promises. Faith goes first and trust God's faithfulness. Faith goes first and trust God's eternal blessings to come when it gives and when it lives and when it does anything. Because here's the spiritual reality. Why does faith go first? Because here's what spiritual economics look like. If God has blessed you with any amount of income, he has included your tithe in that. According to him, he said, I'm going to give you enough for you and I'm going to give you some of my portion just to see if you'll give it back. So if God has blessed you with any amount of income, $1 under the pillow for two, he's included his portion of that in it. Here's how I teach my kids to see money that God gives them. I tell my kids, if God gives you $100, he intends for you to have 90. That's the way it works. If God wants you to have $90, he's going to give you 100 so that it can be a spiritual lesson too. So anytime God gives you 100, he plans for you to have 90. You need to know our church views it this way. When you give us 100, we count that as 85 because the first 15% we invest outside. And we say you can't outgive God, so we're just going to keep giving because 90% with God 
is better than 100% without him. Let me tell you how this could look for our church. So I told you we had 700 families that in 2016 gave to our church. 700 of the most generous people on planet earth. It's unbelievable the generosity that sits in the seats at our church. But ask our finance team this week. I said, how, how many of those 700 don't just give, but like they tithe? I said, how could we even begin to figure that out? So we said, let's just take the U.S. Census data over the last decade for Lee Summit. Not everyone lives in Lee Summit, but let's use those numbers. U.S. Census data says that the average household income in Lee Summit, all zip codes is $65,000, just short of $65,000. So let's just say everyone in our church makes that. I know some of you make significantly less than that. Some of you make significantly more than that. But I said, let's use that as our baseline because we're in Lee Summit. How many of the 700 families last year gave $6,500? Just everyone's average, and that would be 10% of 10%. How many, what percentage of the 700 families would be tithers based on that criteria? In your head, I want you to think of what you think the percentage number is. Don't say it out loud. In your head, how many of our 700 families based on that criteria? I'm an average Lee Summit family, one income, two incomes, we make $65,000. How many give $6,500? The answer is 13%. Now, we got one of the most generous congregations in the history of the world. But what if it was 100%? Well, that means we would have given away three times more money last year to missions, to community outreach, to church planning. That means instead of sending $5,000 to help Hurricane Harvey victims, we'd have sent fifteen. If everyone would have given it that level, you know, an average tithe, which we know, I get it, some are less, some are more. Do you know this building would already be paid off and we'd already be building the next one? Not even a campaign, just offerings. We would have already paid off the $3 million debt on this building and we'd be building the next one, just if everyone did that. Is it possible that the impact that God wants this church to have lies right on the other side of the line of fear of people stepping into tithing? Three times the impact on our community. Three times the impact on our missions partners. Three times the space to invite friends to be a part of and house people in our community spiritually. What if that's what God has for us? Some of you say, Christian, that sounds really good. And I'll be honest, I'm in, but I'm broke. I agree with everything you're saying, but I'm broke. When God gives me 100, I don't spend 90, I spend 110. When God gives me 100, I don't spend 90, I spend 115. Christian, I'm broke. I I really don't know what to do. That's the answer, believe it or not, I get the most. People say, I want to tithe, but by the time I learned about it, I'd already spent that money someplace else. What do I do? You need to get help. You know, 50% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and they run out of their paycheck two or three days before the next one, and then they live on a credit card. Do you know that credit card debt in the United States of America just this century has eclipsed $1 trillion for the first time? And that we have no plan as a country for paying it off. It will go to our kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids if the credit agencies can find them. You know that only one-third of households in the United States have a written budget that they stick to so they don't spend more than they have. And that 30% of people age 55 and older, one out of every three people age 55 and older have zero dollars of retirement. You hear me talk about giving. You say, Christian, that sounds nice, but I'm drowning. What you got for me? We got help. I told our church, I don't ever want to speak on giving again if we can't help people who can't give anything. So starting in October, we're going to begin a six-week kind of beginner's class for financial help for people who just need to learn how to put their life together 
so they can take care of themselves and eventually get to the point where they can worship through giving. If you're in here, you say, man, I need some help. We've got help coming. A six-week class this fall beginning in October on Thursday nights, and then we hope next year to build a big enough financial ministry with some of the financial managers in our congregation that we can actually offer free financial counseling to people who need it because this is us. And we saw what we could be if we could all get to the place where when God gives us 100, we could give him 10. But we're not there yet, but maybe this is our pathway forward because giving is a trust thing. And then finally, letter C, our giving invites the fourth person to the party. So our giving is an act of worship. Our giving is an act of trust. But our giving invites the fourth person to the party. So that's not a very big party. That doesn't sound very fun. I'm talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Remember Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't worship the gold, you're going in the fire. And they're like, okay, that's what we have to do. Throw us in. And he did. Look at verse 24. After he threw him in, it says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like the son of the gods nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted shadrach meshach abednego servants of the most high god come out come here so shadrach meshach and abednego came out of the fire and the satraps prefects governors royal advisors crowded around them they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their head singed their robes were not scorched there was not even the smell of fire upon them You know, when we give, it invites Jesus into our life. And a lot of you don't have Jesus walking beside you financially yet because you've not invited him into that journey through giving. But what we see in scripture is that giving reveals whether or not Jesus is the guest of honor at our party. Giving reveals whether or not when it comes to finances, our world revolves around Jesus. I want to show you one of my most treasured possessions. I got this the last time I was in Israel. It's a 2,000-year-old alabaster jar. Say, so what's an alabaster jar? It used to hold perfume. The Israeli Antiquities Division has told me where they have uncovered this. Uh, the house they dug it up in, it's from the first century. 2,000-year-old perfume jar. You can see the art that has begun to fade off of it on the front. It's one of my most treasured possessions. Because when I saw it and I heard what it was, I immediately thought of giving and how this reminds me of worship. In John chapter 12, we see one of these show up. It's twice this size, but it's about exactly this age. In John 12, after Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, it says that six days before Passover, Jesus went to his town, Bethany, where he lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his hair his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I like to romanticize things. So when I was talking to the antiquities dealer about this piece, I said, what are the chances? You know, it's 2,000 years old. What are the chances this was found in Bethany? What are the chances this could have been used in John chapter 12? And he laughed, and he said, first, it's about half the size. He said, secondly, the way we have found these perfume jars and how they're made, he said they were made to only get one drop at a time out. Because it was very expensive, and he said it was very powerful. He said to have an entire jar of perfume poured out wouldn't have filled the house. It would have filled the entire village, the smell of it. And he said the only way to get that much perfume out in a single setting would have been to have broken the jar. 
So he said that jar can't be found because it would have had to have been broken in order to worship Jesus the way that Mary worshiped Jesus on that day. And as I stood in that store in Jerusalem and I looked at this jar and I thought, man, I've got to have that because of what it reminds me of. God gave me the vision of things in our life that have to be broken. If we're going to worship Jesus through giving the way that God wants us to worship Jesus, I thought about Mary on that day and that vase that she was willing to break that she might worship Jesus. And I thought about fear. And I thought, you know, if we're not willing to break our fear, if we're not willing to let fear be broken in our life, we'll never get to the point where we can really worship Jesus. Good morning to those of you who just woke up. Um, I thought about security. And I thought, you know, a lot of us are kept from worshiping Jesus because we've got our security bottled up in something else. And unless we're able to break the bondage of security in our lives in anything but Jesus will never feel free to give. I thought about this word greed, my money, not God's money, my money. I thought about how we've changed the test. God, when you give me enough, I'll give back to you. Instead of allowing God to gauge our generosity, we gauge his goodness. And I thought, man, we are a world who doesn't just spend what we have. We spend what we have plus more really don't have a plan. And I thought, you know, if we are not able to break the bondage of, of greed, We'll never get to the point where we can worship God like we want to. Or maybe for you, it's a debt. Maybe everything I've said has kind of reverberated in your head and you thought, it's right, I really want to do that. But how am I ever going to get out of debt if I can't break the bondage of debt? I got no chance. You see, this message is not just about money. This message is about breaking the strongholds of fear in your life that are keeping you from living in faith. This message is about breaking the strongholds of security in your life, the security you've placed in something beside Jesus or alongside of Jesus that's kind of tied to him. This message is about figuring out how to make sure we're not living greedy lives, taking what God is giving us and never giving back his portion, but using that plus some and then getting ourselves in trouble that we can't get out of this. This message is about having the courage to say, I'm in debt, I need help. It's about breaking the jar, not this one. This one's 2,000 years old. I've entrusted Michelle with it today. I said, Michelle, if this somehow gets broken, you won't have a job tomorrow. But God will still provide for you financially. It's her worship because she gave. What if God wants us to be a church that gives in a way that doesn't just impact us, but gives in such a way that the entire community feels our giving? Because when our time comes, right? Houston's came two weeks ago. South Florida's is coming this week. The upper Northwest is burning a thousand acres at a time. It's only a matter of time before we got to open our doors and tell our community, come on in. And it will be your giving, your worship, your trust that lays the foundation for that impact. So every week I've end our messages with the faith over fear moment. I've asked you to dream what God would want you to do in life. Last week I asked you to take a next step and having some impact on somebody spiritually. Here's this week's faith over fear moment if you'll accept it. I want to challenge you to take a 90-day generosity challenge starting in the fourth quarter of 2017. Don't start today. I do not want you to have an emotional response to this message. Somebody said we should take an offering after the sermon instead of before, and I said, no, I don't want anyone to give today. It's not a money thing. We don't need money. It's a heart thing. Go away, talk. Go away, pray. 
go away and figure out what your next steps are in this generosity journey. And I want to challenge you to do one of these seven things starting October 1 through the end of the year. If you tithe, if you're one of those 13%, thank you. Test God by giving more. We have three of our staff families this year who have committed together to give 12% rather than 10% because we believe we can't outgive God. I mean, the blessings that we could tell you about are just unbelievable. Number two, if you have lapsed in your giving, maybe you've been out of church for a while, you're just getting reconnected or you had a difficult business season or, you know, you just, things happened and you stopped giving for a while, re-engage in the fourth quarter. If you give consistently, but it's not 10%, consider tithing. If you give randomly here and there, Choose a percentage and give consistently. Just get real consistent as you build your way towards worshiping through tithing. If you, don't, if you give occasionally, just every now and then, get consistent. If you don't give, give something. And if you cannot give, have the courage to say, I need help. Because God gave you enough for you and for him. And if you can't give anything, it means that you need some help. Let us help you by signing up for that finance class. My prayer is that today you can learn what your heart worships and hangs onto. My hope is that today you'll be challenged to trust God. My hope is that today every time you look at money, you'll see if Jesus has been invited to that party as a guest of honor at that party. My hope is that today, if you need help, you're finally willing to say, okay, mercy, I need help. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?